14 on insurance emissions and today we're going to talk about how to get from here to there so wants to open our bibles and talk about what that looks like but a lot today i also intend for it to be some practical uh, steps to go from well I'm, i've been really motivated by this class to spend time overseas talking to people about jesus and so how do i do that so we're going to try to talk through those things, as well as I want us just to take some time at the end of the class and just reflect on um, what's been impactful for you as you've spent this semester diving into these scriptures and talking about these things, reflecting on these things, um, as well as just like even out of today or out of the course, what are some things that you're, some specific steps that you're wanting to take? And then I want us to close today. You know, we've been taking each week to spend time praying uh, for um, uh, countries in the world, and I want us to take time today just to pray for one another. And so we'll take some specific time to pray for how this class will um, play out in our lives. But let me begin our time in prayer. Lord Jesus, we do want to not just be puffed up by knowledge about your heart for the nations, Instead, we want to be convicted and to be driven to serve you and to serve uh, the lost and to serve other saints in the proclamation of your gospel. Lord, we pray that today that you'd give us wisdom as we seek to understand how you go about uh, sending folks out into your harvest field. We know, Lord, that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So we pray to you, the Lord of the harvest that you would send out more laborers into that harvest field. And Lord Jesus, may we be counted among them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So if you flip your, your guide over, you'll see all the different things that we've covered over the course of this semester together. We talked about the goal of missions, seeing the glory of God, and seeing uh, churches planted, um, disciples made, churches planted um, to the glory of God across uh, cultural and linguistic barriers. And so we talked about why, where do we see that in Scripture? So we spent time in the Old Testament. We spent time in the New Testament. We talked about some really important questions that not only shape how we do missions, but why we do missions. And so, for instance, the exclusivity of Christ or um, the, the role that local churches play. Um, and so what I want us to do uh, today is as we've worked through this material is to talk about, okay, how do we get from here to there? And so one of the, I think, really important conversations in all this is who goes? Who goes? And one of the important uh, conversations in who goes is, well, often the answer to that is those who have the missionary call, who have a specific call on their specific lives um, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. So I want us to talk about where, where do we see that in scripture? How might that be a helpful uh Understanding how that might, might not be a helpful understanding. Um, some cautions there, some encouragements in that. How do we see the church jump into that, those conversations um, with each of us? And then just, again, we're going to try to spend as much time practical with some steps about how this looks. So, first, um, all Christians are called to aid in the spread of the gospel. I've given a couple passages here. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. So, the Great Commission is, that we see in Matthew. 
as well as in 3 John, you have uh, the Apostle John writing to a church, encouraging them and how they have helped to move uh, missionaries along uh, to further their ministry. We've looked at both of those passages in depth in other weeks. But just your, I want to hear from you guys. How have those passages or other passages that you would want to bring out helped you understand your own personal call as a Christian, not as a super Christian, not as a whatever, but just as, as, an, as a Christian, for every Christian to be called to aid in the spread of the gospel? Maybe it's a passage we've looked at this semester. Maybe it's one that you've just studied on your own or heard of elsewhere. Kellen, what about for you? I think um, Matthew 28 can be very similar to, you know, John through 16. If you just hear it, and you know it, and you don't really think about it. And so it's been sweet in this class, too. I feel like almost every week, we've been at least one Great Commission text. And so just to meditate on that and be reminded of it constantly makes you think about it deeper. Yeah. And to just realize the responsibility that we all have. And so that's been, yeah, really sweet for me to just be in the Great Commission. Mm, in good. and out every week. Yeah. I'm looking at Acts 13 here where they're together in Antioch praying mm -hmm. and the Holy Spirit says separate unto me Paul and Barnabas yeah. for all of them. Mm -hmm. We have that aspect of the calling. Yeah. And then I think about the little boy that was standing there and Jesus said feed the multitudes and the little boy and the little boy said how do we do it? And the little boy says here, take my lunch. Yeah, that's good. So you got that one extreme from the other of how do you fit in? It's just a matter of whatever I think the Lord leads you mm. at the time. Yeah, that's good. Other passages have been helpful for you. Romans uh, 10, you know, how will they believe unless they've heard? How will they hear unless someone preaches? How will they preach unless they're sent? Like that, just that kind of from, from the lost person and their heart, you know, back to me and wherever role I fit, whether that's as one who tells or one who sends, like those are, yeah, I'm, I'm included somewhere in that. Um, every Christian is. I think sometimes we, what we do is we end up having just like uh, poles in this uh, conversation. It's like, well, I know that I wouldn't be able to say, well, I, it's not my job to evangelize. It's not my job to help uh, see the gospel. I, I, I have no part in that. I have zero, zero part whatsoever. Um, and I think hopefully over the course of this, this class, none of you would 
feel comfortable making those kind of statements anymore. Mm -hmm. But I think something we, we then say, but I'm not called to do that. I'm not, and what we have in mind is some, uh, again, like super Christian varsity level. Um, and then we end up, so live, we all live somewhere in the middle. And when we live somewhere in the middle, we then excuse ourselves from all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. well, or our intent for this class was to push us from a, it's really, it's not that first section. It's not the, I have no responsibility whatsoever. I can't do it. And then, yes, it's a spectrum of how, to what degree are you involved? To what degree are, are you gifted to that and enabled? What to, to degree does the Lord provide opportunity for that? But it's, uh, it's something that we should all be striving more and more to move uh, further, further up and further in. And so then I think sometimes what we do is we say, well, okay, well then to really graduate into that, um, that varsity level, well, then I have to have this uh, internal call. And uh, I think oftentimes that is a, like, a really um, well-meaning conversation. It also, can be, it also can be misused. And so what I want us to talk about is some cautions when we use that kind of language and some encouragements when we use that kind of language. All right. I'm going to start with the cautions. Um, and when I say cautions, it's not that I think uh, we can, if you hear somebody say that, or you use that language, or I'm, I'm going to slip into using it here today, and you just say like, well, that's not what it means. And we like call each other down on it. But I do want us to recognize that there are some, some things that, ways we might misuse that language. So one of the first ways we might misuse calling language and so by then, again, we're talking about like I have a missionary call uh, or I'm, I'm, I'm called to missions or I'm called to the pastor or I'm what, some, some language like that. One way we might, uh, we might make this mistake is when we start to confuse passages that relate primarily to salvation and not to vocation. And we apply them to vocation. So the primary way in which we see the New Testament talk about calling is in relation to our salvation. So let's look at these, these passages. Colin, would you start, would you, would you read Romans 8, 28 through 30? And please, would you read 1 Corinthians 1, 26? And there are lots of others. This is just a sample of what that might look like. So, uh, and these are really clear ones that relate to our, our, um, our calling to salvation. And so I want to see how clear that is. And then also, let's talk a little bit about what happens when we, we get that confused. So, Callum, would you read that first one for us? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Praise God. All right, so 828 is one that we all know and use often, hopefully, as a reminder of God's goodness. It's a, it's a high peak in Scripture. I think John Piper calls it the best verse in the best chapter in the best book of the Bible. Um, and so uh, super encouraging, right? But so we have this hope that comes because um, of it's, it's available to all those that God has called, right? And so then the next verses help us understand the, the context of that calling. 
calling here is in relation to our salvation. Those whom he predestined, he also called. He called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he will glorify. So this, these are all language, those are all words that fit into our understanding of our, of our salvation. Now, how if we were to apply that verse and say that, well, calling in here is related to a specific vocational uh, career calling, how might we misuse or misunderstand? And I don't think anyone ever does this with this particular set of verses, but I want to use it as an example of like how lopsided that might get us if, if we do it. So how, what would be some confusion that might come if we tried to apply our understanding of calling as vocation to this usage of calling in salvation? Yeah, that'd be part of it, for sure. Yep. yep. How else might it be confusing if we applied the promises of 8, 28 through 30 to only those who have a missionary call? Mm-hmm. missionaries, pastors, those we've we've said that yeah. have a, a call. Or if we take calling to just be vocation in general, right, which is actually where we get the word vocation. It mm-hmm. has that vocal it's part of being called to something. right? Um, and so we say, well, as soon as you figure that out, or as soon as you know what it is, maybe it might, that might be confusing. Um, how else might it be confusing if we get salvation and vocation mixed up here? Again, we want to cherish this as a passage that applies to all Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to be careful not to apply this to every human on the planet uh, in the exact same way, right? Because it does say that God works all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose, right? So, yeah, we want to be careful not to misuse on one in one ditch on the other. We also want to be careful not to limit this so exclusively only, right? And again, I don't think people do that. But I wanted to give this as an example of what might happen when we confuse the language of the Bible around calling and, and apply it um, yeah, to vocation, not to salvation. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 1, 26. This is another one that if we have the wrong kind of view of calling in mind when we come to this verse, we might, we might misunderstand what's happening. Steve? For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to And we keep going here, going on. We've got what God did to save the Corinthians. So again, here, if you say, consider your calling, brothers. Like, wait, wait, did Paul switch? And is he only talking to the, the 
elders, or John's talking to the church planners, or John's talking, no, this is still writing to all of the Corinthians. He's talking about their calling to salvation. All right, so we want to be careful about that, okay? Secondly, I, we want to be careful not to expect everybody who, uh, who participates in missions that they're required to have a, a road to Damascus kind of moment. So we see that in Acts 9. This is where Paul receives his calling to be an apostle. And I noted that he, he says in Romans 1, for instance, I am called, Paul, called to be an apostle. Right? And so we can create this expectation that everybody needs to have that kind of burning bush, light on the road, fall off your horse kind of moment. But what we do see is that certain people in Scripture do have a really specific call from Christ to a very specific job, right? And most importantly, we see that with the apostles in uh, Matthew chapter 4, for instance, remember there? Or Paul in Acts chapter 9, okay? But then I think we want to be careful to not then lay over their, their calling to that unique office of apostle and say then that creates an expectation that all of us have a a similar unique calling to our similar unique roles, okay? Um, and the reason for that is because one, I think we have to just, we always want to be careful about where scripture is prescriptive, like this is how everybody has handled, this is how it works for everybody, and uh, how it's descriptive. It's describing what happened for these specific individuals. And, uh, and so particularly when we come to Acts, that's, that's a constant tension we feel when we study the book of Acts, is how much of this is uh, describes what happened when God called these particular men to these particular roles, and how much does that then prescribe how God calls all of us to particular roles. So I don't think it's unbiblical or unfaithful to then extrapolate out from that. What I don't think we should do is create some sort of expectation that you're only called to do missions if you have a Paul kind of experience in your life. Right? And then the third caution I would give is just more that's come from my own experience with working with people who have expressed a call to ministry or to missions is that it becomes this like slap on the table trump card that nobody can do anything else about. So, you know, you, I had this experience, I had this moment, I had this, I, I have this internal sense, and it's a trump card. You can't beat this. I said I'm called to this, I'm called to the ministry, I'm called to, and no matter how much that doesn't seem to be playing out in your life, no matter how that doesn't seem to be wise at this time or whatever else, you, you, can't, you can't beat my trump card. And I think we want to be really, really careful with that. And I don't know if you guys have have experienced that, but I can think of extreme versions of that. So, um, two that are more like my role with assisting pastors and churches was, one was a couple years ago, we had a guy who routinely would come and park at the BCM during football games, and he was always tipsy before he even got there. Um, and so we always kind of like needed to be careful with him, whatever else. Uh, it turns out as I got to know him and engage more with him, he was serving as a pastor of a small church in Oklahoma uh, and had hopped from church to church to church. And, um, and it was really worrisome. I can think particular in light of like 
what's come out this week about how easily it is for people who are dangerous to move to new churches, right? But in all of our conversations, he always has a trump card. God's called me. I got to preach. I got to do this. Okay. So extreme example, but one we should be wary of, right? Uh, another example was a church here in town that decided to forego their search process because someone just showed up and said, God called me to be the pastor of your church. And the people in the search committee literally said, well, I mean, we can't argue with the Holy Spirit, so I guess he's our pastor. And so there was, there was thinking through all of the discernment and the faculties that God has given to his church to assess that. They just use it as a trump card. I think on the other end, I think what can happen for particularly missionaries on the field is you will hear this idea that calling will keep you. Calling will keep you. And that's a phrase um, that is often meant as when it's hard, like what will keep you on the field is that you've had this calling. That you've had this moment that keeps you there. And I, I want to just, where I would caution in there is that, one, someone who doesn't, who starts to then look back and question their calling, that was the stamp, that was the moment that said, this is when I became a Christian. If that starts to falter, well, then people could say, well, I don't need to persevere because I don't think my calling was sure, right? Or they may need to come home. They may need to come take a break. They, the wisest thing for them may be to, to step off the field and participate in God's sending to the nations in different ways, but they can't because they have this internal shame that says my calling will keep me and I can't leave. Um, and so then they can't hear the wise counsel that tells them, come back and help us send. Come back and take a break so we can send you out longer. And so that trump card ends up not just being something that's wielded against a group, but actually they wield it against themselves. So I want us to be careful. Those are all cautions I would encourage us to keep in mind. Here's how I would encourage us to think about the, that, internal, that internal sense. One would be that I think you should have a conviction, a conviction to want to be a part of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Um, and I think that's actually probably a better word for us to use when we're trying to describe is that internal sense the Holy Spirit has given us to want to be a part of that. So the last, uh, I don't know how long it's taken us to get through this far, but the last six weeks or so, we've been in the main service. We've been in and out of 2 Corinthians 4 and 5. So let's look over there. And just as an example, and maybe this has come like a very, like a specific application or response that you've had to the preaching through 2 Corinthians 4 and 5. But open your Bible, 2 Corinthians 4 and 5. Just draw your eyes over it. Maybe any things you've marked or things that stood out to you. And just from these two chapters alone, what are some ways one might or you might have a conviction to be a part of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth just from these two passages, these two chapters? the same spirit of faith according to what has been written. I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. Yeah, how would that help? Um, just affirming a belief causes action. Mm. Um, yeah. So our actions aren't the reason we have faith but there are results of our faith. That's 
that's good in this today's text. Um, specifically looking at verse 10 and 13, Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, can you, with all you know, prophets of Paul, as we're discussing you know, reconciliation, the fact that when we are in Christ, we are a new creation. And so when he goes in verse 10, he says, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, serving that God is appealing through us. Yeah, so, so reading this, each of us should respond differently, uniquely, but generally along the same lines that this should put in us a conviction to be a part of appealing, right, to others to be reconciled to God. And for some, that might be the verse that prompts you to talk with your neighbor next door because you've been thinking about that for a while and the Lord's been pushing you that direction. Or it might be to move your family across seas and meet new neighbors. And share the gospel with those neighbors, right? and probably, and for some of us, it should be both. What else? What are other passages, other verses in here, that might produce a conviction in you to be a part of missions? By the way, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was good. That was good a couple weeks ago to really dive into like what is persuasion, how do we do it, how do we do it rightly. That was that was a good week, it's a good sermon, and it's it's prompted by the fear of the Lord, which is a general thing all Christians should have and be growing in. It should cause us to persuade others. Uh, going back to verse or. Four, chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Mm-hmm. That little phrase, we do not lose heart, it comes up more than once in these chapters. And you can think how you know, someone on the mission field who is experiencing the worst of the trials and tribulations that are, that are associated with taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, how, like Paul, would need this verse that says, by the mercy of God, mm-hmm. we do not lose heart. Or... Um, 4.16 So we do not lose heart Though our outer self is wasting away Our inner self is being renewed day by day So it's not a Well I had this experience at this camp At this point and now I know I'm a missionary And now I can't come off the field Um, But it's By the mercy of God And despite how everything else is going on around us We're we're not going to lose heart We're going to continue to persevere So conviction um, should should be there within within our heart um, as we desire to take the gospel overseas. And then secondly, we should have an aspiration. We should aspire to it. And that's language that we pick up particularly from First Timothy chapter three. Amy, do you have it? Could you read it for us? First Timothy chapter three, verse one. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he should desire the noble task. Yeah. So, what do you, what do you think Paul means here when he's talking about aspiration? They they aspire to this role. Just what does aspire mean? That may not be a word you. Use Yeah, hoping, hoping for it and working towards it. I love that. Yeah, that's really good. So what's the hoping for it part? 
how is that true in whether that's a missionary zeal or whether that's a uh, eldership zeal here why why is it important that they hope for it They want to do it, right? They desire to do it. They they kind of long for it. Right? I think it's similar to I, I put in here First Peter chapter five verse two. You should um, shepherd the flock among you willingly, not under compulsion. Mm-hmm. Right? So this shouldn't be. Well, I sat through this class and Joe and Michael and Sean and Cole really twisted my arm, and I'm so afraid of disappointing them that I now am going to go overseas. I don't really want to do this, but I feel like I have to do this. Um, no, it should, it should be something we desire to do willingly. We should hope for. We should want to do it. Not, not done under compulsion. And then we should not only hope for it. I, mean, I love this definition. Hope for it, but we should work towards it. Right? So what, what, might, what might that look like? Or why would that be important? for a ministry leader, particularly a missionary, to work toward that as they aspire to it. said, look, I, I felt like um, I was convicted to do this work for a long time, but uh, I knew that I wanted to be as prepared as possible so I could be as effective as possible. So he, he actually mm-hmm. went through getting like two doctors before he even started his mm-hmm. professional ministry career. So he was in his 30s, even though he knew as an early believer that that's what he aspired to do. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. And working, and that's part of that working towards it. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, some of the best counsel I got was in high school. I was in a, I went to summer camp. They had a, a specific part that was just built for people who, I had classes on people who thought that they were called to ministry, aspired to ministry, whatever. And uh, they did a panel. And I, I don't remember anything else I learned in that whole week, but this one thing was one of the guys said, don't, uh, don't be surprised that God doesn't start to use you until you're in your 30s. And as a 17-year-old, that sounded like forever away. And he was like, Jesus didn't start his ministry until he was 30. Paul probably didn't start his ministry until he was 30. Like, just like, the Levites didn't start their ministry until they were 30. Like, like, there is lots of work and preparation to do. And, again, and that was super helpful for me to understand, like, oh, okay, I don't have to go yesterday to be faithful to this conviction that the Lord is placing in me and pushing me forward. I'm going to work toward, there's a lot of work that needs to be done toward that. And rather than just having a, like, a minimum bar of, well, do you feel this internal conviction? Do you feel this, you know, we call it calling? Well, then that's all we need. And now we're ready to send you. No, 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 there's, there's lots more that we're going to do. And depending on what that role is, right, may depend on how, how long the training process needs to be to get you ready for that. So then we also want to talk about that there are external, so there's that internal sense of call, there's the external part of it. 
And this is the ways in which the Holy Spirit works these things out in your life. Um, and as well as uh, you see it confirmed by the local body, where the church um, speaks into and affirms that. So let's just talk about some of the attributes we would want to see in the life of someone who was preparing to take the gospel overseas. And so, Joe, would you read us Galatians 6, 22 and 23? Jack, would you ready to read 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7? Mac, would you read Luke 22, 26 and 27? We're just going to fly through these real quick, but is it right? Galatians, uh, I'm wanting the fruit of the Spirit. What did I type? Galatians 6? 5, maybe? 5, should be 5, typo? Yes. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. All right, so is this a list of attributes exclusive to those who are in ministry leadership? No. Why is that why why is it important that we we say that? We would hope super every Christian. Yeah. Yeah. Like only the super righteous. That's right. Every Christian this is the fruit of God's work in every Christian. That this is in contrast to them walking by the, um, and gratifying the desires of the flesh, and now walking by the Spirit, producing these things. But also, why should it be exemplary in those that we see that are desiring to take the gospel overseas? Why, why, why should we start here for those who want to see good work over there? just run through this list real quick. What happens if someone goes overseas um, to take the gospel of the ends of the earth, but they, they don't have love? What happens? The gospel can be questioned. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They may love preaching. They may not love the people they preach to. Yeah, they don't care enough. Yeah. What happens if they don't have joy from the Spirit? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that's not appealing to anyone that they're sharing the gospel with, and it's not sustaining for the missionary who's going. What about patience? Yeah. Yeah. Patience with the people you're sharing the gospel with. Patience with the people you're sharing the gospel alongside. Right? Patience with the Lord. Patience with yeah, so much patience, incredible patience. Patience that fruit doesn't seem to be bearing out, patience with government officials, like just long lines to getting your visa renewed, like an incredible amount of patience, right? What about self-control? What happens to the missionary that doesn't, 
isn't growing in self-control. Yeah, yeah, temptation runs rampant for sure. Yeah. Jack, are you going to add something? Yeah, it's, it's over all the times I've not been patient. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, that's right. Mm. What about First Timothy 3, 1 through 7? This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of bishop, he desires a good work. The bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own household, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest he be perfect, or tried, who fall into the same condemnation as his brothers. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So why, why should we be applying this list, which is specifically given for us to understand the, the qualifications to be an elder in a local church? Why should we use this to lay over the characteristics of those we would want to send overseas? Right, so we said the goal there, right, is that they're going to be starting churches. Right, so even if that's years down the line after they get there, right, we want we want to be seeing these attributes in them so they can lead out in those churches. Right? Why else? We'll talk about this in aptitudes, but with the exception of able to teach there in verse 2, everything else we see in this list that's applied to uh, an elder is applied elsewhere to every other Christian. So it's a good, succinct list for us to use to lay over the life of an individual, male or female, to say, okay, are we seeing these things grow? We've seen this, uh, these, after, these, um, these attributes uh, in their life. So, so, again, just like we did with the fruit of the Spirit, what happens if we send someone who's not hospitable? What, what, what would be a downfall in their missionary endeavor if they're not hospitable? Literally, lover of strangers is what hospitable means. Mac, what do you think? Not very friendly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So they may be gruff. They may they may be able to answer all the questions on the test about what is the gospel, but nobody wants to be around them. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean also, I mean just considering most growing teams, hopefully, mm-hmm. you just realize like even if you're lacking hospitality, yes, 
external evangelism and um, ministry to outsiders is effective, but also just within your own team. Yeah. Of like, yeah, people not feeling welcome, even that making people feel ignorant. Yeah, that's good. What if speaking of outsiders, what if they they don't they're not well thought of by outsiders? What would be the how would that affect their missionary endeavor? One of the <coughs> things in Second Corinthians four was just this imagery of like shining light out into the darkness, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is pretty convicting. Yeah, but also like convicting here too. But if I'm not shining light, then I'm not, I have no value in my life. Yeah. Even the ambassador language, like we're representing mm-hmm. Christ, and so what does it look like then? Yeah, so true. Yeah, or if we send someone who's a recent convert, what does it tell us might happen if we send somebody too soon? Yeah. Puffed up, right? And and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Or as the verse in Zachary Bush, in the same condemnation as the devil, right? That same pride. Yep. Matthew, you're going to read for us Luke 22, 26-27, another attribute I would think we would want to see in the life of a kingdom king. It is not to be uh, like that amongst you. Uh, on the contrary, whoever is greatest among you will become the youngest, and whoever leads like the one serving. Uh, for who is greater than the one at the table or the one serving? Isn't, isn't it the one at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. Mm. This is just that service orientation, the humble service orientation that should mark um, someone in Christian leadership. Yeah, and we'll see that, like, if you look at what we talked about First Peter 5 earlier and his, his encouragement to uh, elders there, it's attached to his description of humility for, for the elder, for everybody in the church, and how um, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble and how the devil flees from us when um, when we walk in humility. And so that, that humble service should mark everything we do in ministry. And then there should be not only certain attributes, right, the character that's coming out in us, but competencies or aptitudes. And I think the most significant of them is that able to teach, which we pointed out from, um, from 1 Timothy. Um, but look at how it's worded in Titus. So Titus gets a similar list. So Timothy and Titus are helping to lead churches um, and to put them into order. So they both get this list of qualifications for those who should lead them. And look particularly at Titus chapter 1, verse 9, describing those who would be elders uh, in Crete. He says, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. You can see how important that would be in Crete, how important that would be for us when we send somebody overseas, that they would, they would hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. Um, and, and then that they'd be able to give instruction in sound doctrine Right? So they need to be able to teach. They need to be able to instruct those who have never heard, not only the gospel, but the, 
the fundamental worldviews that are associated with the gospel. You need to be able to instruct them on that and to be able to rebuke those who contradict it, which means they need to be able to pick out, oh, that's not right. Like, that's just a little off. Yeah, that's way off, but actually that's not right by a little bit. And I got to point out what that is and correct um, correct that in, uh, in the lives of our folks. And then to be able to have the language skills to be able to do just that. Right? So not just the language skills to be able to teach the, like, the bare minimum of what is the gospel, but to be able to instruct in everything that pertains to sound doctrine. Now that is a, like, that takes an intricate level of language and to be able to pick up on, oh wait, when I say that, you said it like this. Is that right? Is that a nuance? Is that a part of it? Or is that wrong? Um, that's an incredibly important distinction. Especially when we talked, we talked in the class before about the dangers of syncretism and how easy it is for all of us to take what we're newly taught and mesh it with what we've previously been taught and try to come up with some version in the middle, right? And so our missionaries uh, need to be able to do just what Titus has told there. And then they need to be able to teach and then they be able to disciple, be able to entrust be able uh, the gospel, what they've been taught, to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's that Second Timothy two two part. And then I think they need to be affirmed. They need to be affirmed in those things, in those convictions, in those attributes, in those uh, aptitudes. They need to be confirmed by the local church. So this isn't something that we just uh, we only have this internal sense of what it is, and that internal sense is all that we need. No, 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 that internal sense, um, which can be untrustworthy at times because our heart is deceitful, right, is affirmed by people who know us well and who've had plenty of time to see these things play out in our life, and they can affirm that. So you see that in places like Acts 13, which was what um, Jack brought up for us earlier when Paul and Barnabas are sent out from Antioch, um, to take the gospel uh, on uh, further along. Uh, but you, if you go back and read back to Acts 9 about how Paul uh, went to Jerusalem and uh, how Barnabas steps in and affirms right, God's working in his life there in Jerusalem. And then when Ant and things start to happen in Antioch, right, they send Barnabas. And as soon as Barnabas gets there, he goes, oh, I need Paul. And he leaves this fledgling church in Antioch to go find Paul, to bring Paul along. And they're all there together. And over time, this is continuing to play out. They're seeing these attributes and aptitudes play out in their life. So much so that, they're, that it's easy for the church in Antioch to go, oh, these are the guys we should send. So yes, the Holy Spirit, by, through prayer and fasting, like, makes it very clear to them that he's calling them to do this work, Right? But I'm, I, it seems doubtful that, that the church in Antioch was like, wait, 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 that Paul? Like, that's the one we're sending? That doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. No, it should have been super obvious. It was super obvious, I believe, to everybody that they were. And similarly, we see the same language described with Timothy, that same kind of laying on of hands, affirmation from the elders, affirmation from the church as a whole to, to be sent out. So... As you are looking to grow in those things, let me give some encouragements on things to do um, in the meantime. 
what, what do you do with this desire that you have to go? Well, first, I would encourage you to, to take the initiative. And what I mean by that is as you feel this, then don't just sit back and wait on it. Mm-hmm. But, but as you aspire to it, then engage in this process. Work toward it, which means talking to other people about it helping them filter through that and explain it and talk through it whatever together. I often run into guys, maybe particularly here at UBC, who have a like a great sense of the value of the local church to speak into this in your life. Um, a very humble like willingness to like follow the leadership of the elders or to others. They're, they're willing to defer in that, but they defer to such an extent that they're the only one who knows that they aspire to it. Uh, and let me just encourage you, like, as you aspire, take the initiative, take the initiative to be asking, hey, should I do this or should I do that? Should I do, what, what about this? Do you think I'm ready for that? Can I get an opportunity to do that? No? Okay. Well, next time there's an opportunity for that, could I be on the list of people who might get an opportunity to do that? That, like, warms my heart. It does not frustrate me at all to be getting those kind of requests from people. So if you know brothers and sisters here at UBC who aspire to, whether that's missions or leadership or whatever else, encourage them to be bringing it forward. And yes, there will be times when we'll see it and we'll call it out. There are also times when in the busyness of everything else going on, like we can just miss it or sinfully we can neglect it. Mm -hmm. So don't wait on everyone else to say it for you. Take that initiative. Jack, what are you going to add? There's another side trail to this thing and that is you may find yourself wanting or taking initiative and starting and then like a young man named John Mark find yourself uh oh you're in a mess yeah what do you do now and he quits and goes home now you're in bad sorts with mm-hmm. the main preacher Paul who thinks I don't want him with me anymore yeah. because whatever he plays and then there's Barnabas who comes alongside and then later on John Mark is writing a gospel and fulfilling some things. So there's yeah, yeah. Even in the aspiration, it's not like, well, I'm just going to jump from where I am immediately into what I envision as the long-term thing, and I'm going to stay there forever. Like, no, it's it's step after step after step. So there could be some even rescues after failures. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. Good. So I think that is what requires that kind of humility that I think is super important that we saw from from First Peter that we saw in Luke 22, um, Philippians 2, lots of other places. Um, be reminded that the church, the local church, sends missionaries. So don't see it just as an individual enterprise, but want to be a part of a congregation, people that would send you and support you and and affirm these things into you. Talk to the elders as soon as possible. Right. Um, talk to others in the, in the, um, throughout it. Seek training opportunities here at the church. So we offer a great variety of everything from this kind of class to think. don't just think of, oh, that's neat that they offer a systematic theology class. But think, man, a systematic theology class would be incredibly valuable if I'm going to spend a long time overseas with people who have a very different systematic theology to the way they think about life. Right? All of us are systematic theologians. Some of us are sophisticated in it. Some of us are unsophisticated in it. Some of us are accurate. Some of us are inaccurate. But we're all doing that. Right? Uh, that'd be an incredibly valuable class mm-hmm. right, to be a part of. So even strategically thinking, oh, I should be part of that one, or I should be part of that one. 
right? Um, and then labor. Do the hard work. Labor to be fruitful here and now in evangelism, in discipling, in personal growth, in personal disciplines, in personal holiness, all those kind of things. Um, pray and seek the counsel of others. Um, don't just, not just the elders, but many who would give you wise counsel. So the battle is won right, with, with many counselors. Right? Not just, I often find that um, in my own selfish heart, I come up with a plan. I really don't want anyone to tell me that the plan is bad. And so I don't tell anyone about the plan until it's too late for them to tell me that it's bad. And then I, then they either can't tell me it's bad, right? Because, well, now it's too late. Or they're like, I really should tell them that's a bad plan, but it feels really late in the game. And so they either sinfully or just, you know, just don't, right? So talk, talk through your plan. Mm-hmm. Encourage them, others to, to speak into it. Discipline yourself to read about the world, to pray for the work around the world, be engaged in, in the things of the world. And then um, pray for our supported workers. We have supported workers that we list in our directory. Uh, we, many of them, if not all of them, send out regular uh, missionary uh, updates on things that are going on in their lives. We also every week have a, um, in the focus, or uh, in the Be Steadfast newsletter that goes out on Saturdays. Uh, which is a newsletter that you have to sign up for as a member of the church, there is a section just on our supported workers. So it's going to give you 52 times a year a different way to be praying for a different cross-cultural worker um, or a local partner. But it just makes you think differently about how to pray for our missionaries. And then I just want to outline um, what it could look like, you know, maybe for five to seven years. Someone who says, like, okay, I'm coming forward. I want, I want to be trained to be able to go overseas. Well, what, what could this look like? Well, it would maybe that first year is just filled with growing in your foundations of the faith, reading the Bible really well, growing in um, uh, your understanding of the biblical basis for missions, things like that. Secondly, maybe it would be that they would jump into our residency. So our residency here is built to help people understand the role of of the local church and all of its ins and outs. And, and so that would be incredibly important for someone who wants to spend time overseas. So maybe they would jump into that full-time residency to grow in that. Then jump from there into a space where they can grow in what it looks like to be immersed into another culture and trained in how to think about being immersed into another culture. So maybe that'd be something like Radius or uh, there's a new program that's gonna get started soon uh, in the Middle East uh, called Radical, where it was similar. You go and for nine months or 10 months, you're immersed into a group of people who are learning how to learn a language, learning how to think about the church, learning how to uh, thrive and survive in, in those kind of contexts, right? Then uh, come back and start, start growing in language, biblical languages, uh, that you just spend a year learning how to learn a language, growing in what that could look like, being assessed, thinking through partnerships. Who's who are you going to go with, um, and what what are you going to do with them? And then uh, kind of moving through there into those a couple of years where that might be a like a growing, ongoing process of developing further and further and further to reach those levels of competency 
wherein when we send you to be out on an island, maybe literally out on an island, but out on an island on your own, all the more so are you able to live and thrive and do ministry there, um, having sent you out from here. Sometimes we create this expectation that, say, for instance, me as a pastor, there is a, like a high bar on how much training, aptitude, assessment, uh, all those things that I would have. When, honestly, like if I get stumped prepping the passage that I'm going to preach next Sunday, uh, do you know how many people I can literally like walk 12 feet down the, down the hallway and get them help from them to help me think through it? And they're, and they're not just here in our building, but then like a couple blocks down the road, guys who read Greek better than I do, uh, you know, across town. Right? I have this network of people that I can do that with. While I'm surrounded by other hundreds of Christians here who are helping me walk faithfully in that, who are asking me good questions, right? I'm not uh, in a place where I'm the only one um, or in a very small band of people. But for whatever reason, sometimes we say, like, well, Cole should have this level of aptitude to be able to do that in this rich environment. But someone who's going to this impoverished theological environment where the dangers are even higher and the questions are even harder, we're going to lower that standard. So. This kind of like five to seven year process may seem like, oh, well, that's impossibly high. No, we're trying to say we want to get them there to do the really hard job and then keep them there. And it's this kind of like long-term process with that learning. So I, I have here kind of a, a more detailed outline of what that five to seven years could look like. And I'll share those with you guys before you walk out of here. So that is really helpful. Okay. Well, what I'd love to hear from you guys are either... But before, just on today, what are some questions that you'll have about the content we, co- we covered today? Anything else we can clarify? Well, Kellen, for you, what's been a big takeaway for you from this class this, uh, this semester? even having Mike last week, um, just getting to talk to people who are actually doing the work overseas and Mm -hmm. being really willing to listen. It's very easy to want to bring your own opinions and your own ideas, um, but just how beneficial it is to hear from people who are actually doing work in other countries and who have done work. Um, And so that's just been really sweet to be in this class because I think it's helped me carry that perspective while listening to them. Mm. Um, And so I've been really grateful for that and just want to be a better listener now because I think it's very easy for me to be a talker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. What about from you guys? Any other takeaways from today's class or from the course as a whole? For me, Jack. I'm looking at it from a whole different angle. I'm looking at mm. several young people sitting there in front of me that are thinking or talking about personal involvement. I'm looking at it as a 75-year-old man who has already gone, mm-hmm. and am I done yet? And this came to my mind. Beloved, you be faithful in whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers and for other people. 
Spirit bearing witness that he loved us in the church, that you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you do well. So was that the third? Was that the third John? Sorry, where was that? Third John. Yeah, third John. Well, it's the idea of I've not done yet until the Lord says come on. Yeah. And how can I know? Praise God. Yeah. Keep going. That's good. Uh, here, let me tell you what you should not do. Yeah. Because I did that and gone wrong, you know, and not that I sat here again more wise hmm. counselor, but mistakes can definitely teach you a lot of things. Sure. That's good. So. Quick, what about you? Um, I mean, my response was going to be more. What are some um, particular things that you would like to do? So like next steps are for each of you coming out of this class. Any particular steps you feel like you need to take? Absolutely. Yeah, I know even just in my own experience uh, here at the U of A, like I came to the U of A with a particular idea that I wanted to do ministry in a certain way, and I came with a particular degree to get it. And I had a plan for how I'd finish that degree, and then, you know, eight or ten or more years. Remember that I had just been given that advice, like, don't be, don't be surprised if you don't start ministry until you're 30. So I'm thinking, okay, I've got this 12-year plan. And as I got closer and closer to my graduation date, all of the training, all of the advancement, all of the growth that I had been building on was kind of shifting that plan in such a way that in some ways it felt like it was moving closer to my graduation. In other ways, it was just turning completely. And so that's why I would just encourage you, like, have that thought and then, like, invest deeply in it and allow the Lord to shape who knows what four more years here, where you would grow or how your heart would change. So much so that 
what you think right now, like, oh, I might do that 12 years from now, might happen five years from now, or something completely different might be the next step in four years to take you on to a different trajectory than you see it now. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Carol, what about you? Next steps. Um, I've always had a very strong conviction for post-Christian societies and mm-hmm. just places that have access to the gospel but see Jesus more as a celebrity and don't really know the gospel. Um, but it's been really helpful to me in this class because I haven't thought well about unreached places. And yeah. so just thinking through of praying through that more and how can I be more active in supporting unreached work because both are equally important and both need the gospel, but each are unique. And I haven't spent time before this thinking really well about unreached places. Yeah. And so that's been very convicting and something that, yeah, praying and how can I financially support and all of that on that half of the mission spectrum. That's good. Of you guys, specific steps that you want to take after our conversations today or over the course of the semester? I don't know if I have that. It's okay. <laughs> Jack, let me encourage you to continue to seek out those young men and women in our church who are desiring to grow and continue to invest in them. I'm so grateful for how you do that. <laughs> we had a conversation about that. He and I are already talking, and not to be too presumptuous or or plan ahead of the Lord, I've started what I call a back porch ministry, which means you can come to my house, we'll sit on the back porch, talk all you want to talk, Yep. because now I don't really go anywhere like I used to, but you can come, and we'll figure it out. Well, let me just take a few minutes and pray for us and for you guys, and then we'll head down to the main service. But our hope and prayer this semester in having this class is we continue to see these conversations grow and move forward in their individual lives, but as a congregation as a whole. And so what we'll actually, you guys can look forward to, is um, starting next week, uh, we'll have um, three new topical equipping classes that will be offered for six weeks. And so there's a class uh, on the fear of man that'll be taught in the chapel. Just what happens when we take God off the throne of our hearts and put people, ourselves and others, and how does that get things upside down? How do we fight that? Uh, We'll do a class on discipling. How do we help others become more like Christ and engage with them in that? And a class on meeting with God. Mm -hmm. And so just how do we grow in those personal spiritual disciplines, habits of, of being in the word, of prayer, of those kinds of things. 
So really, so be looking for communication on that this week and ways for you guys to jump into those three classes as well as there are four other classes that are still finishing a study in 2 Samuel that you can always jump into. And so this may be your sort of like, well, I'm going to finish out 2 Samuel for six weeks. Then in July, we're going to do six weeks on the God's heart for the nations uh, across Scripture. All, everyone in the church, in the main hall, that'll be the only equipping class we offer. And it's six weeks, and it'll do a, a whole class on, like, the, how do we see God's heart for the nations in the Pentateuch? How do we see it in the prophets? How do we see it in the Gospels? How do we see, like, just working through whole chunks of Scripture, how do we see God's heart? And how does that affect us individually, as a church, all those kinds of things. So, but those these conversations we've been having, we're going to continue to further those conversations as a church as a whole. So you guys can look forward to, to doing that. So, like, we spent two weeks on that here in this class. We're going to spend six weeks on it as a whole church. So hopefully that's even more fruitful. And you guys remember how quickly we had to move through that in those two weeks? We'll get to hang out in those texts even more and get to see a lot more of it. So, so things to look forward to. Father God, your harvest is plentiful and your workers are few. And Lord, we pray that you would encourage us to be a part of going to tell and to sending those well to do so. Lord, we pray that you help us to understand um, well from your word what it looks like to have that internal conviction and aspiration to be a part of that and how to encourage that um, and uh, strengthen that or to even... to encourage someone to think differently about that in their own life. Um, and then also, Lord, I pray that as a church that we would um, we would assess well, we would encourage well, we would uh, send well, and Lord, that you would help us to raise up and prepare each of us in this room to be more mature in Christ, but also to be a part of making others uh, more mature in Christ. Mm-hmm. That we would be part of that ministry of reconciliation, and we pray that we would be a part of that to the ends of the earth that you would be honored in our efforts and glorified in our time today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.